It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Waiver Wire Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me as he always does on this lovely Tuesday afternoon, Nate, the great Yankee PFS resident ranking expert and, you know, just all around baller. Nate, week six, man. We got some buys. Week six. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Happy that we're finally reaching the bye weeks and happy that we aren't going to have another 9.30 a.m. Eastern game for a couple weeks. So, Finally, on a Sunday, can relax a little bit more than I had been these past two weeks. I uh, I had the alarm set for 9 a.m. this Sunday. Some might argue should have been a little earlier. I like sleeping in, okay? And, Nate, you know, once I made sure my rankings were in a good place, you know, didn't have any big issues with the old fancy lineups out there. We didn't have the Alvin Kamara uh, inactive thing going on this week. Just laying there in bed, watching this on my phone with, like, three dogs surrounding me. It, I was I was enjoying it, but to your point, yes, it's going to be nice to have usual football start times here moving forward for at least a few weeks. So, on this edition of of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to get into all things waiver wire. And with these bye weeks coming around and a couple big name running backs going down with injury, couldn't be a more important time to go over it. With that said, as we always start off with it, as we always start off this episode with, I'm going to go through the biggest sheesh moments of the week. Every single week on PFF.com, I publish an article on Monday night. As soon as Monday Night Football is over, that goes through all the near misses from the week. Nullified touchdowns, wide receivers that are open for touchdowns, but got an inaccurate pass, players that got stopped at the one-yard line, all that and much more. Basically, all the beyond-the-box score stuff that you see if you watch the games, but if you didn't have the chance to, I got you covered. So, not going to go into each and everything. Again, free article on PFF.com for you guys to check that out but the biggest sheeshes of week five first of all there were four wide receivers who just had multiple terrible things happen to them Nate. some you know self-inflicted and some more so their teammates fault first of all randall cobb awesome day in london seven catches for 99 yards but man he had a potential for a 29 yard touchdown just before the half rogers sailed it and then later actually from the four yard line had another opportunity for a touchdown once again rogers just couldn't quite put the ball where it needed to be and then hey randall cobb actually gets a 10 yard gain would have been a lot cooler if it was 11 because he got stopped at the one yard line just short of the goal line also broncos wide receiver jerry judy almost had a 15 yard touchdown at the beginning rare great throw from russell wilson unfortunately only have one hand on it and didn't even get the uh, pass interference penalty later wide open for a 27 yard touchdown on a slot fade right after Andrew Breck had dropped the touchdown unfortunately Russ did not throw this one on target and it went out of bounds and finally had an easy 30 to 40 yards at his disposal if not more in a deep cross unfortunately Russ sailed that one too 
Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf. Again, I mentioned some of these are self-inflicted. This is a big example. Good day for Metcalf. Had that 50-yard touchdown in the first drive of the game, but he did drop an easy one to bread basket from 13 yards out in the end zone before the half. And then, unfortunately, he had a 32-yard touchdown get nullified by a good holding penalty call. But, man, like ref looks away for a second. Metcalf makes a catch. He makes 99 out of 100 times. We're talking about a three-touchdown day. And finally, again, top four players that had the most sheesh last week, Darnell Mooney. This guy has been playing incredible over these past two weeks. Some of the catches he's made and some of the near misses, man, just getting egregious at this point. Was open for a 26-yard score if he got in a catchable ball, but Justin Fields put it in the dirt. And then later, you know, we don't really know if Fields was going to have an accurate pass because Mooney toasted Patrick Peterson on a double move enough so that Peterson basically just shoved him to the ground, uh, forcing the defensive pass interference penalty. And finally, at the end of the game, chance for a 25-yard touchdown. Ball was just a little bit late, and Harrison Smith knocked that one away. Handful of pass catchers now who could have scored or picked up big yards with a more accurate pass. Guys, Josh Allen, 348 passing yards and four touchdowns in the first half, and he somehow left meat on the bone. It was one of the more incredible things I've seen, Nate. Like, you would think that when you have one of the most historic, prolific first halves ever, like you were perfect on every single pass. Nope, he wasn't. Stefan Diggs should have had an 18-yard touchdown in the first half. Josh Allen skipped it in. They had to settle for a field goal. And he even threw an end zone pick to Gabriel Davis. So just amazing that Josh Allen could have this overall QB1 performance, be setting, you know, first half records and literally still leave some meat on the bone. But also note that Diggs could have, should have, would have had a 50-yard gain, if not a 92-yard house call. Really good play by the covers defender, though. Debo Samuel split a pair of defenders from eight yards out. Could have had a short touchdown. Jimmy Garoppolo failed to put the ball where it needed to be. Don't want to be too critical of a Dolphins third stringer, Skylar Thompson. I'm sure Kevin Cole and myself are going to be talking about him plenty tomorrow on our AFC preview pod. But Tyreek Hill did get a step deep. When does he not? Could have, should have, would have had an 88-yard touchdown. But the Dolphins had to settle for a 34-yard game on defensive pass interference. And also need to point out that Devontae Adams, yeah, big game. Had those three catches, two touchdowns, shoved one security guard. Actually could have had probably a third score when he when he drew those pair of defensive pass interference penalties, I believe, in the first half. Second one badly underthrown from Derek Carr led to Josh Jacobs' touchdown. There were three pretty clear non-wide receivers that dropped an easy touchdown. Bills tight end Quentin Morris actually fumbled from the one-yard line but should have fallen into the end zone. Unfortunately, the ball fell into the end zone instead. Steelers recovered. Mentioned before, Broncos fullback Andrew Beck receiving that, you know, Dime down the middle from Russell Wilson, dropped a potential 27-yard touchdown. And Saints tight end Adam Troutman dropped a 17-yard touchdown before he came back and caught the one from Taysom Hill. Uh, let's see. Don't be too hard on Deontay Johnson. Had another pair of great catches. Guys, Deontay Johnson this year hasn't scored. I think he's averaging 53 and a half receiving yards per game. I have never been more convinced that Deontay Johnson is an elite NFL wide receiver. The separation, this guy gets the ball skills. Yeah, there's going to be a drop here and there. And yeah, George Pickens is an absolute and in his own right it's legal in the year 2022 for offenses to have more than one great wide receiver that's currently the situation in pittsburgh and finally biggest sequence of the entire week Unfortunately, our guy Lamar Jackson got the W, but should have been a bit easier. He had Devin Duvernay open from 51 yards out. Unfortunately, sailed it long. Wasn't super egregious, like would have needed a great throw, but a sheesh is a sheesh. And then finally, Tylen Wallace really wide open from 41 yards out. This one was more of a blown coverage situation on fourth down. Need to hit the throw. Unfortunately, Lamar sailed that one. So again, 
Wallace won definitely more of a layup, I think, than the Duvernay one. But either way, Lamar Jackson, two near misses there on what would have been deep touchdowns. So again, you can catch all those nullified touchdowns, missed big plays, and so much more in my weekly week five fantasy football fallout column. I call them Shisha's editors go for SEO shit. So it is what it is there. And with that, Nate, we are officially on to week six. What a freaking transition we got going on here. As always, you have your week six waiver wire article out on early Monday. And then on Tuesday, you come around with your, you know, five to get on the waiver wire, five to sell high on, five to buy low, five to cut. So we're going to focus again just on the waiver wire today. And with that, let's get into your big five waiver wire editions of week six, starting with New Seahawks RB1, Kenneth Walker, rostered in 47.7% of ESPN leagues right now. I get it. I A lot of you guys out there, I've looked at my waiver wires in you know, my 22 freaking leagues. I got to be setting these lineups in every week. And I don't think Kenneth Walker is in a single one of mine. But God forbid, Nate, that if Kenneth Walker is in someone's league, all the fab, all of it. If you have $100 of fab, we're spending it all on Kenneth Walker, right? This is the guy we want here. Uh, yeah, like I think he's definitely going to be the main running back going forward on the early downs. I do think he's probably not going to see that many third downs the rest of the year. So his value will largely depend on if Seattle can continue to be somewhat good on offense, like they've been a lot better than expected so far. Even if they regress a little bit, Walker will be just fine. The only concern is if Seattle starts losing these games by a lot like we kind of expected going into the season. And their schedule does get more difficult. Then we'll see a lot more of DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, which won't be the greatest thing. But the fact that Walker is as talented as he is, the Seahawks offense is playing as well as they have been so far this year. And he will probably see a very high majority of the carries for Seattle going forward. So I think Walker is definitely a very safe pick and definitely someone that you want to spend as much of your money on as you can. But there is at least a little bit of risk there. Speaking to Nate's point about the Seahawks offense, number seven in scoring right now. What Geno Smith and company are doing out there has been absolutely fantastic. Now, on the other side of the coin, they are 31st in points against. So, Travis Homer also on IR alongside Rashad Penny, who's obviously out for the season. So, there is a chance that DJ Dallas is a little bit more involved than we're hoping for, you know, on pure pass first situations, especially without Penny now in the picture to help with that at all. With that said, man, a high scoring offense that's moving with pace that's far better than we thought. I I mean, you can argue that, I mean, that um, uh, Kenneth Walker's role, essentially it's like Damian Pierce in a more consistent offense. Like that's kind of what I'm expecting here. Nate, will the Seahawks finish as a top seven scoring offense by the end of the season? I doubt it. Probably not. We don't need them to be. If they're going to be a top 15, top 20 offense, even, and just focus their run game all around Kenneth Walker, which at this point they don't really have a choice to, he is going to be a weekly upside RB2, truly with the potential to be an every week top 10 option sooner rather than later. Now, Nate, we have a personal favorite of mine because I spent all damn offseason hyping him up only for him to get hurt. But, hey, better late than never. Cardinals wide receiver Rondale Moore. A lot of people got frustrated, and understandably so, with him missing the first three weeks of the season, only owned in 19.6% of ESPN leagues. And we talked about in week four on this very podcast about how we liked the usage, but we weren't completely sold because that came in a game where A.J. Green was out. Rondale was mostly working on the outside. There was a chance that Rondale was going to split a lot of the snaps stuff with Greg Dorch in the slot. Now, Nate, this is the last week before DeAndre Hopkins comes back, so there is a chance that we see things get a little funky moving forward, but at least for week six, Rondale Moore is the Cardinals' undisputed slot wide receiver, and that's pretty, that's pretty fancy-friendly in a full PPR format. 
Uh, yeah, he was playing the exact role that we were all hoping he would play throughout the summer. He was the slot guy playing almost all the snaps there, uh, seeing plenty of targets while playing in the slot, and also even in two wide receiver sets, seeing a decent amount of time out wide, which that might stop happening once DeAndre Hopkins is back. So um, his role might decrease slightly, but still playing in the slot nearly all the time is huge for him. Um, they also cut Max Williams, their backup tight end, who they were using three tight ends before. Now it's just two, so fewer two tight end sets, meaning more three wide receiver sets, which means more is on the field more often. So it was definitely great to see. Good note on the uh, Max Williams cut. If you're in one of these 16-team leagues and you've never had a good tight end, handcuff tight ends, you know, not something for, uh, you know, just it's, it's not something that we can rely on with all that much clarity. With that said, Trey McBride, you know, coming out of this class, easily the number one highest-ranked tight end by pretty much any draft service you want to look at, including the fine folks at PFF. So, God forbid something happens to Zach Ertz, who's already been banged up this season with that calf injury. All of a sudden, Nate and I will be talking about how Trey McBride is a must-pickup at the tight end position. Don't be afraid to get ahead of that curve if you are on a desperate tight end needy roster waiver wire pickup number three of the week is going to be Colts wide receiver Alec Pierce at 8.6 percent ownership in ESPN leagues now Nate I believe we got three straight games of Pierce going over 65 receiving yards the rookie's been out there doing good things and yeah these receivers have been banged up a little bit here and there the passing game has been ineffective but the big win for Alec Pierce so far Paris Campbell has been a Paris Campbell has been a complete non-factor I think right now he's probably the leader in Rich Rebar's uh, you know yearly series about you know the wind sprint uh I, f- I forget his official name for it but basically what wide receiver is out there running the most rounds you know being just the most useless because we never throw the ball to him anyway Paris Campbell's out of the picture now Ashton Doolin someone that actually stepped up and really worked as their number one receiver while Pittman and Pierce missed the game back in week two or three I believe he's also injured so that leaves us with a player in Alec Pierce in an offense without Jonathan Taylor and without anywhere else to go with the ball Nate so no I don't look at Alex Pierce and see him in the same way as you know Romeo Dubs and some Dobbs Dubs how we have this conversation every single week on this podcast but I wouldn't put him in that same conversation like I don't think there's much of a chance for Alec Pierce to be this top 24 guy unless something happens to Michael Pittman with that said the rookie's playing well he's got this high a dot downfield role you could do worse than a player a boom or bust potential player like Alec Pierce, that has a higher ceiling than we probably gave him credit for. Oh, yeah. I think basically anytime you have a rookie that's in the first or second round and producing already in October, I at least want to take a chance on him. He's not someone that I'm probably comfortable putting in my starting lineups quite quite yet, unless I'm desperate with bye weeks. But he's been producing, so there's definitely a chance that he could continue to do so over the rest of the season. So uh, he's someone that I think has more upside than a lot of other wide receivers that we would typically be considering this time of year off the waiver wire. Maybe at some point, Matt Ryan gets his shit together. I mean, this is just incredible, Nate. Re- again, reminder, everyone, Reggie Wayne was throwing up because of how much that Matt Ryan reminded him of Peyton Manning on the season. 18 combined interceptions and fumbles for Matt Ryan. In second place is Carson Wentz with 12. It's unbelievable, man. Last year, the entire last season, Carson Wentz started 17 games for the Colts. He had seven interceptions and eight fumbles through five weeks, five weeks. 
Matt Ryan, seven interceptions and 11 fumbles. I can't believe he has 11 fumbles this year and people just go about living their everyday lives like there's nothing wrong. Please, Matt Ryan, for Alec Pierce's sake, for Michael Pittman's sake, for everyone that lives in Indianapolis's sake, get your shit together, bro. All right, number four, wave wire pickup. Speaking of former Colts quarterback, it's going to be Washington Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz at 47.7%. So, yeah, with Carson Wentz, we've seen the lows. We have all seen the lows over the years. But, Nate, there have been some highs, and even if some of those highs come in garbage time or comeback mode or because there's a lot of volume, style points don't really matter in fantasy football. In fact, they don't matter in fantasy football. And Carson Wentz, especially ahead of this Thursday night matchup against the Bears, gives us a chance to have a bunch of inefficient volume, but so much volume, most dropbacks in the league to this point in the season, that at some point, man, he's someone that, especially in bye weeks, it's really hard to rank more than 10 or 12 quarterbacks ahead of him. Uh, yeah, we've talked about him before, but I've found that it really depends on the pass rush that he's facing. If he's facing a good pass rush, uh, the offense is basically falling apart. But if he's been facing a below average pass rush, that's when he's been performing pretty good. So I think knowing that he's a quarterback that you can have with one other guy and choose whoever has the best matchup that week, and he's a fine quarterback to be in kind of that two quarterback committee on your roster. So like especially this week, against Chicago, that'll be a fine game for him. And I think he'll be able to continue to just put up numbers going forward, depending on the matchup. So definitely someone that I would want on my roster if I don't have one of these elite four or five guys. Every week I do my mismatch manifesto article. I take an offenses, you know, rank and just their uh, number and a certain stat. I look at the defenses so we don't have to have this back and forth two-way street, just a one-way street for each metric. And one of the things I look at is pressure. And yeah, Wentz does not stand out as one of these quarterbacks this week where we should be significantly worried about how he's going to handle this pressure. The three quarterbacks we do need to worry about that with Justin Fields, Matthew Stafford, and Zach Wilson. By the way, the guys we don't have to worry about it with Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, and P.J. Walker, among all else. Nate, just real quick, we're gonna. I'll stay for the quarterback section. Never mind. All right, number five wave wire pickup of the week is gonna be Bengals tight end Hayden Hurst, just twenty four point two percent owned right now in ESPN league. So, Nate, we've been talking about Hurst and just how he came out of the season great, and then unfortunately he's been pretty banged up. Even last week, I mean, he got downgraded to a DMP on Friday. I was forced to basically recommend, like, guys, like you need to have another option here at tight end because we saw them limit his snaps really in weeks three and four. That didn't end up happening though. Honestly, his week five snaps as you show in your lovely uh you know graphs over there on your waiver waiver wire weekly article they were right back up there to normal and if we can have hayden hurst running a route you know and over 70 percent of joe burrow's dropbacks during any given week there's gonna be a lot of good things happening here uh yeah if you ignore the top three or four tight ends in the league we have a lot of tight ends that are seeing a lot of playing time but in bad offenses and a number of good tight ends and good offenses but they have to split split playing time with someone. So there's a lot of bad tight end situations out there. Hurst is one of the few tight ends that are seeing the vast majority of snaps in a good offense that wasn't picked in the top couple rounds of your draft. So I think he's been playing fairly well so far, and especially if the Bengals offense can start playing more like how we thought they would play, how they were playing late last season, then that'll lead to a lot more touchdown opportunities. So he's someone who can get the targets, the yards, and the touchdowns. Stealing one of Nate's stats from his article, so I sound smarter. One of just four tight ends a season with at least 20 catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns. Only joining Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, and Zach Ertz. Not a bad group uh, to be involved with, Nate. So again, big five waiver wire pickups of the week. Number one, Kenneth Walker. All the fab. 
How much? What percentage? All of it. That's the percentage. Number two, Cardinals wide receiver Ron Dale Moore rostered 19.6% of ESPN leagues. Nate, we are going to have Hopkins back. Hollywood Brown continues to impress. He isn't going anywhere. Rondale Moore, is he more in that 15, 20% you would say? I know with Dobbs last week, we were saying more 30, 40%. To me, Rondale seems more like a 15, 20% guy. Oh, yeah. I'd be fine with 20 for him just because I don't think any of the other Arizona wide receivers are going to be playing much in the slot. So, yeah, his target share might decrease a little bit, but I don't think his playing time is in jeopardy anymore. Again, I understand last season that when Hopkins was out of the picture, unfortunately, we didn't even see Rondale take that role. But that was because Christian Kirk was still in that picture. So the nightmare scenario in this offense when DeAndre Hopkins comes back is that Hopkins stays on one side and they keep freaking A.J. Green and Antoine Wesley when he gets off of IR on the other side. And then Marquise Brown moves into the slot. But I just don't think that's something that at this point in time we need to think is a certainty by any stretch. This season, Marquise Brown has been out wide on 276 of his snaps only in the slot for 79 so hey they told us all offseason Rondell Moore is gonna be a starting slot we saw it last week in his first truly healthy game when they had some of their outside receivers I'm very hopeful Nate that he is gonna be a starting slot receiver with that said he's probably still gonna be a number three pass game option in Arizona Colts wide receiver Alec Pierce again rostered in 8.6 percent of ESPN leagues our number three waiver wire pickup of the week Nate to me this one feels more like a 10 percenter because again it is a passing game that we're not exactly thrilled with at the moment albeit maybe we could see Pierce uh, just start getting some of these bigger plays because the fact he has had a floor of this uh, you know substance so far that's at least good news yeah and I also don't think too many people are talking about him this week his game was earlier in the week so people kind of forgot about him already so I think you'd be able to get him cheap without having to put much money out there for him. As always with quarterbacks, you know, you're probably just looking to stream someone for the bye week. So with Carson Wentz, no reason to go too wild. We, we are all fully, you know, understanding there's going to be some lows with the highs there. And then in terms of Bengals tight end Hayden Hurst, it just depends on your roster. How tight end needy are you? Because I do think that Hurst here probably is going to be a low end tight end one the rest of the way in Cincinnati. If something happens to either Chase or T Higgins, who's already banged up, or even Tyler Boyd, like you take away one of these guys. And yeah, I saw Mike Thomas do a thing or two in that game. But more than anything, I think the rem- remaining members of the offense are going to be the ones to really step up. So Hayden Hurst, if you really need a tight end, I wouldn't be afraid to start pushing that 20% fab mark. So again, Kenneth Walker, Rondale Moore, Alec Pierce, Carson Wentz, and Hayden Hurst are top waiver wire additions of the week. And we will go ahead and give a shout out to our lovely sponsors over at Sleeper with our waiver wire pickup of the week being Kenneth Walker. Again, if he's not it's, it shouldn't be hard. If he's not available in your league, I'm sorry. And if you already have him on your roster, like fantastic. You have an upside RB2 the rest of the way. Anything you need to do to get Kenneth Walker on the squad, try to do it on that waiver wire. Let's go through some quarterback as No, just more specific quarterbacks, Nate. It's always a great day to be great here. Carson Wentz, we already talked about him a bit. Behind Carson, though, you have Geno Smith, Jameis Winston, and Kenny Pickett. Geno, the highest amount owned guy in ESPN leagues right now at just 32.2%. And again, just I don't know how many games Geno needs to keep doing this until we just accept him as the elite quarterback he's been. Pick a stat any stat pff passing grade he's first among 35 quarterbacks with 50 plus dropbacks let's say you hate pff even though you're listening to a pff fantasy pod he's also first in qb rating he's fourth in yards per attempt he's first in adjusted completion rate first in big time throw rate the only somewhat negative thing he's done is he has a he's 19th in terms of worthy play rate so he's been a little bit uh you know reckless at times and you do see him in the pocket maybe take some sacks that he shouldn't but at the end of the day nate 
He has 10 touchdowns. The entire Broncos organization has six at this point in the season. We talked about this being the seventh-ranked offense. And Geno Smith, man, they have that combination where the, the, the thing that makes me believe that Geno and, to an extent, Jared Goff is on a bye week, and we're not talking about him. I know Goff just had the bad week. He had a lot of weapons out. But the thing that helps me think that this year could continue to be different for both Geno and Jared Goff is the fact that we're talking about probably the two worst defenses in the entire league playing on the other side of the ball. So, Nate, I feel like going with Geno Smith, it's not even that big of an investment in Geno. It's just an investment in the fact that the Seahawks are running more plays. They have two badass wide receivers on the outside, and the defense is going to keep them in you know shootout mode more weeks than not. Oh, uh, yeah. Like the only concern is the schedule does get more difficult. So if it becomes an even bigger blowout where the other teams are uh, maintaining time of possession a lot more than other teams have. So he's not like a sure thing going forward. But especially this season so far, if you isolate the last three weeks, he, he's even further ahead than all of these quarterbacks and all those stats that you mentioned. He's just been playing that good these past three games. So, yeah, it's a small sample size. There's very well a chance that he'll regress at some point but I'm willing to pick him up and have him on my roster in case he's able to play close to as well as he's been playing. Because even if he's close to as well, that's a fantasy starting quarterback. Jameis Winston only owned in 20.5% of ESPN leagues right now. Four fractures in his back. He hasn't seared up in back-to-back weeks. I think that's probably why uh, he has actually owned that much, as Nate points out in his article. Sixth in the season, on the season, in passing yards. Eighth in passing touchdowns at the end of week three. And one of the things, you know, that we were talking about with Jameis before uh, week four was the fact just how much the schedule really opens up for him here in these next few weeks. They got the Bengals on Sunday this week. Then they got the Cardinals. Then they got the Raiders. Then they got the Ravens. I'm not saying those defenses are all dreadful or anything like that. But on the other side of things, we're we're talking about Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, and Lamar Jackson. Shoot out Central, baby. And with Jameis, when we've seen him this year, highest average target depth in the league. And hopefully by this Sunday, we are expecting Michael Thomas to be back. We'll see about Chris Olave and the concussion protocol. And it does seem like Jarvis Landry was you know, close to playing on that ankle. It did seem to be more of a game time decision. So there's a chance, Nate, that Jameis is back, hopefully healthier, given he had two weeks off. And all these wide receivers in New Orleans that, you know, really, I think, helped Jameis put up these big counting numbers in the first three weeks in the first place. Hopefully they're back as well. Oh, yeah. Like, I definitely, the two quarterbacks we already mentioned, if you need a quarterback in the short term and even in the long term, I'm probably going with one of those two. But Winston is available in more leagues. I probably wouldn't trust him this week, but he's someone that, like Ian said, played well. The three weeks that he has played has plenty of talent around him. And it just, everyone needs to get healthy. So that might take a little bit of time for everyone to get there, but hopefully by the middle of the season, they're at that point. And this offense can be one of the more exciting ones in the league again. Final note you have is for Kenny Pickett, owned in just 9.9% of ESPN leagues right now. I was not overly impressed with Pickett and, you know, coming in at halftime two weeks ago. I thought in that Bills game, though, man, yeah, they only scored three points. I get it. But you, we've seen almost every offense that goes up against the Bills, you know, completely piss down their pants, uh, piss down their leg, excuse me, with that, you know, bad metaphor in the first place. But with Pickett, I thought he went out there. He gave his wide receivers plenty of chances. And as you know, he did have four of his passes dropped. Several others. I mean, Deontay Johnson, again, I mentioned it in the Shishas. This dude is popping up every single week with one near miss after another another we know Deontay's a beast we know Pickens is a beast despite you know public sentiment Chase Claypool also tends to be pretty damn good at football we do have Pat Fryer with the concussion protocol but at a minimum Nate we have Kenny Pickett on a team with a defense worse than we thought it was going to be they can't run the ball like it's they're barely even trying these days it seems like Kenny Pickett might have a chance for even if he's not going to be that efficient 
passing on his own. He's got wide receivers to bail him out, and he might just have enough volume to kind of make up for it. Oh, uh, yeah. Like in these articles, I always try to include at least one player that's available in over 90% of the leagues, and Pickett was by far the best option at quarterback that's widely available. He had over 300 passing yards, and that's his first start as a rookie quarterback. So if you can do that in your very first game, I'd want to at least stick around and see what you can do over the rest of the season. And he has all of that talent around him, like you were saying. So I think the opportunity is there for him to succeed. Even if he's not the most successful quarterback in real life, I think he can still put up the stats this season. Are you, um, are we out on Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford? Like, would you trust the guys we just talked about over them the rest of the way, or maybe just relax a little bit? Um, I think the first two guys that we talked about, I would probably trust over Wilson and Stafford going forward. Okay. What about Wilson Stafford versus Justin Fields, who quietly, Nate, did put together a QB 10 finish last week, even though he had a 52-yard touchdown run nullified by penalty? Uh, It's debatable where those guys are. Rest of seasons and Fields, it's just the offense still hasn't been playing all that well. Fields had the one good game, but... I'd like to see him be a little more consistent because he's burned us a little bit so far this season. First three weeks of the year fields so damn bad that if you just still look at the first five weeks, the whole season, like you're going to see he's our lowest graded quarterback in terms of PFF passing grade. And you're going to find a bunch of other terrible stats to back up that sentiment. I will say, Nate, don't call it a comeback just yet, but things are looking better for fields weeks, one through three, 6.6 yards per attempt. The last two weeks, 8.9 adjusted completion rate has gone from 58.1% to 74.4% QB rating from 50 to 97.2. So again, not hard to get better based on what we saw in the first three weeks of the year, but he has been and in these you know five games so far 11 8 8 7 and most recently eight rush attempts so hey it did take fields quite a while to catch his stride you know in 2021 if you are a team that took stafford you know took Derek carr and you just unfortunately we're in a situation where you didn't have a locked in top 10 quarterback that you can trust the rest of the way i'm not saying to go with fields over guys like Wentz or gino even Jameis, but i do think again for quarterback needy rosters as someone already gave up on fields don't be afraid just to take a flyer on the guy because again last year we did see a long stretch of him not doing much of anything before he did rip off four top 12 finishes to end his season so again quarterback roundup number one at waiver wire ad of the week is going to be carson wentz number two geno smith and then it's going to be a mixture of Jameis Winston, Kenny Pickett, and Justin Fields. Feel free to make your own call there. Running back, talked about the man. Kenneth Walker owned in 47.7% of ESPN leagues. Hopefully you're in one of the 52.3% leagues that don't have him. Go get him with everything you got. After him, Nate, we do have Raheem Mostert. Probably not available. He is already owned in 68.3% of leagues, but it was good to just bring him up anyway because we have seen this backfield go from oh, it's Chase Edmonds to, oh, it's, you know, leaning towards Raheem Moser to, holy shit, Raheem Moser kind of took this backfield completely over. Oh, uh, yeah, like I tried to have a 70% threshold in these articles, so I know Moser probably isn't available in the people that are listening to us leagues, but uh, he's just been playing very well in the run game. All of his stats have been excellent. Um, he tied his career high in offensive snaps this week, which tied what he did last week, which was, Um, his career high. So um, they're using him a lot more than the 49ers ever did in both the run game and the pass game. So um, I almost like him better than Walker rest of season, but chances are Walker is available in a lot more leagues right now. 
Also want to note that, you know, Benjamin only owns in 6.8% of leagues. So right now, Cliff, Coach Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury believes James Conner is okay, but he did say, we're checking everything out. It's something in the rib area, and they're just being very cautious with him right now. Doesn't sound like there's an IR trip on the table. We'll see. But Cliff Kingsbury, I'm sure he's just going to tell us next tomorrow or today that he's a game-time decision, and we'll find out there on Sunday. So tough to tell anything that's going on in Arizona, you know, injury-wise. But not only is James Conner banged up, Daryl Williams also had to leave last game with a knee injury. So this is one of those things, Nate, where we'll probably know more once the actual injury reports come out on Wednesday, seeing how severely James Conner is injured and seeing how severely Daryl Williams is injured. But if we take both of them out of it now, you know, Benjamin will be someone pretty difficult to keep out of the top 15 running backs ahead of week six. The problem is he needs both of these guys to be out because if only Conner's out, then we would be anticipating more of just a split backfield between Eno and Daryl, which would make neither of them a recommended start. Oh, yeah. And there's plenty of gray area in there, too. We could see James Conner out and Daryl Williams not at 100%. So Eno Benjamin, we would have expected a 50-50 split, but Benjamin could be closer to 60 or 70 with Williams taking less if he's not 100%. So there's just a lot of possibilities. I'm not too high on Benjamin in the long term because I think he's a half-time backup so um, he's just completely a gamble. If you specifically need someone this week, if you don't need a running back this week, then I would pass on him. Next five guys, I think, are similar sentiment to your last point there, where, again, if you don't need a running back this week, I'm just not so sure there's that best-case scenario upside to warrant going out of your way for these guys. So Brian Robinson coming back into Washington. Amazing story. I do think he'll get more of the early down work over Antonio Gibson. Guess who's led the Washington backfield in snaps over the past two weeks? One, J.D. McKissick. So unfortunately, Robinson, he's one injury away from being, you know, that low-end RB2 that we were treating Antonio Gibson as, and he's two injuries away, if not more, who the hell knows in Washington these days uh, from having, you know, the sort of top 12, top 15 role where he would need to be in your starting lineups. Also, Mike Boone owned a 26.9% of leagues. We did see Melvin Gordon really have that, you know, borderline bell cow role. Maybe the snaps weren't totally there, but did get the overall majority of the touches last Thursday night. And that was without Latavius Murray, even in the picture uh, just yet in Atlanta. Yes. Tyler Algier had the lead role. Also. Yes. It wasn't worth all that much. That's why we were prioritizing bigger name handcuffs last week. And now it did. Damian Williams potentially back in the picture coming off the IR. This, again, just looks like a muddled three to four running back situation. That's not going to get any clearer while Cordero Patterson remains out. And with Isaiah Pacheco, it's, you know, every single primetime broadcast, you hear the announcers just gushing over how different the guy is. And fine, yeah, he looks good. But if something happened to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, man, I think Jarek McKinnon would be the biggest beneficiary. You can already argue that McKinnon is kind of their number one running back uh, more weeks than not. At least that's what the snaps tell us. I understand CEH is doing his thing, but this is a three running back committee, and they still have Ronald Jones waiting in the wings. God forbid someone get hurt. So Robinson, Boone, Damian Williams, Tyler Algier, Isaiah Pacheco. I'm just not going out of my way to get any of them. Nate, the three guys that I would prefer to get on my roster if I have the room, Rashad White, still only owned in 23.9% of ESPN leagues. He's starting to flirt with standalone value and his handcuff upside. Dwayne McFarlane and I talked about this Sunday night. Rashad White might be the most valuable handcuff in all fantasy football at this point. Just based 
based on what we've seen in Tampa, based on having Tom Brady under center and just checking the ball down and the scoring upside of that offense, like you look at it, Tony Pollard with Cooper Rush under center, Alexander Madison, this Vikings offense, Kareem Hunt with Jacoby Brissett under center. I really think that if we had similar roles, which it looks that way for Rashad White versus all those guys, we would be ranking Rashad White higher on a weekly basis. Also, Alexander Madison still only owned in 43% of ESPN leagues and Jalen Warren at 3.9%. Someone that, again, if something happens to Najee Harris, we're not talking about your everyday handcuff. We're talking about a potential every down handcuff, someone that would be a must start in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. So just to quickly recap, Kenneth Walker, Raheem Mostert, those are the big two ads of the week, guys that can help you this week and can help you down the road, especially Kenneth Walker. You know, Benjamin, keep an eye on that Cardinals injury report, but if we are going to see James Conner and Daryl Williams out, you know, suddenly becomes a rock solid RB2 for this week. Just realize, you know, his long-term value isn't as high as Mostert or Walker. And then I would prefer targeting high upside handcuffs like Rashad White, Alexander Madison, and Jalen Warren ahead of more flex guys that, again, aren't giving you just everything you want uh, this week and beyond, like Brian Robinson, Mike Boone, Damian Williams, Tyler Algier, Isaiah Pacheco. Nate, did I say anything really dumb in that that you want to correct, or does that sound about right? Um, the one thing that I want to add is with uh, White, Madison, and Warren, all three of those guys are players who their playing time has been slowly increasing each week. Madison is close to 45% of offensive snaps now, uh, playing a lot of the receiving role in Minnesota. And that's something that could be even closer to 50-50 going forward, potentially even though Dalvin Cook has also been playing really well. And with Warren, he's available more than basically any of these other running backs. Um, He played a lot. A lot of it was the fourth quarter this past week. But he's been playing a lot better than Najee Harris so far this season. And they've already said they want to get Warren more more involved going forward so we could see warren having standalone value this season even if Najee harris doesn't get hurt appreciate the youtube gang joining us live uh nate robert wants to know Mostert or Kenneth Walker PPR rest of the season? I got Walker, man. I think Walker has a legit chance to take over the entire backfield with Mostert. I think we saw Gaskin come in and kind of start to take what Evans is going to have. I'm not as convinced that Mostert is going to have the same sort of every week touch ceiling in an offense that probably wants to throw the ball more anyway. Are we on the same page? Um, I think I have Mostert a little ahead just because I don't see Walker taking the third down snaps or the two-minute drill snaps anytime this season and just – I'll concern about the schedule and if they'll be able to continue to run the ball quite as much as Miami will be able to. So those are the two running backs, though, again, out of everyone we just talked about that can help you a lot this week and beyond. So I'm leaning Walker, Nate's leaning Mostert. We can respect each other's opinions. We'll save, you know, our fight, our argument for, you know, after the stream's over. But either way, it's a good problem to have. Don't be afraid to go get uh, either of those running backs. I wouldn't completely unload the fab on Mostert to the same extent, but hey, 50% or something for someone that, again, is truly taking over that Dolphins backfield, not completely egregious. Last week, for those that didn't see, Mostert's 68% of those snaps, 18 carries, three targets. And second place was Miles Gaskin with 21% snaps, four carries, and five targets. All right, wide receiver roundup. We talked before about Rondale Moore and Alec Pierce. That was because the, you know, real potential top two wide receivers available on the waiver wire are more than likely gone. But maybe if they aren't, Nate, Romeo Dobbs, 65.5% owned in ESPN leagues. Jacoby Myers at 64.6%. How, you know, let's say, there's a lucky someone out there that happens to be, you know, in the 35% of leagues where both these guys are available. Who would you take the rest of the season, Jacoby Myers or Romeo Dobbs? I have Romeo Dobbs just because of the upside potential. It seems like 
he doesn't quite have as much chemistry with Aaron Rodgers as he would like to see yet, and I think that's something that can improve as the season goes on. Um, he didn't have the greatest game this week, but I think he still has that top role where Jacoby Myers, we know he's going to be in the slot. He's been playing very well so far this season, but New England just has so many moving pieces at wide receiver, at tight end, that they like to spread the ball around a lot. So I could see Myers continuing to have some really good weeks going forward, but also some weeks where everyone's getting three catches on the team and Myers isn't standing out as much. Could argue maybe in full PPR, you got the higher floor for Jacoby, but yeah, yeah. it's Aaron Rodgers versus Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, whoever we're going to have under center. The total upside is the guy that has the potential to still be the number one in that offense compared to what's going on in New England right now. Also got to give a shout out to Isaiah McKenzie, still available in 26.3% of ESPN leagues. So this is a little bit, um, Nate, similar to what we're kind of dealing with Rondale Moore in terms of the slot role. So it looks like this should be McKenzie's job. It was him and Jamison Crowder splitting reps. And obviously Jamison Crowder now on IR for the rest of the season with that broken ankle or I think it was a leg. Either way, Jamison Crowder out of the picture. We did see Khalil Shakur come in last week and really ball out, man. Look good after the catch. He had a nice contested catch down the seam. Josh Allen seemed to trust him out there. And no, they didn't really have many other options to put out there with, a you know, I think a banged up still, even though he, I think he was out there, Jake Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie uh, missing the game with a concussion. But what is your confidence on McKenzie coming in and having like a route rate of 80% plus, or do you think it's going to be more of a McKenzie split with Shakur in the slot? I think he's going to have a pretty clear hold of that role because he's the backups are the backups to all of the wide receivers, not just him. And I think with how good Buffalo is this season, they'll be ahead in a lot of games. They'll have time to rest Stephon Diggs a lot late in games. So um, those guys will be playing just as much on the outside as they might be playing in the slot. And what we saw before or after Crowder got injured, before McKenzie suffered his concussion, McKenzie was consistently out there. So um, based, it's a smaller sample size, but he was a hundred percent of the guy over that short period of time. And they weren't really rotating anyone else in the slot before that either. And as good as Shakur was last week, McKenzie really playing good with every single opportunity he's basically got, even over the last two or three years. Also want to note that Kadarius Tony, Traylon Burks, and Kyle Phillips also out there, again, for more desperate rosters. But really, this is more of, I think, a running back week once you get past those first two or three obvious guys at wide receivers. So again, more leagues than not, Rondale Moore and Alec Pierce are going to be your top two waiver wire additions of the week. Also, keep an eye on Romeo Dobbs, Jacoby Myers. God forbid they're available. Yes, we would prioritize those guys ahead of Rondale or Pierce. Also do have Isaiah McKenzie there waiting in the wings. Someone that, yeah, maybe, unfortunately, we do see the Shakur hype come into and unfortunately uh, dive, dive bomb his value. But if we do see McKenzie getting that 80% plus route roll, I mean, look, we're going to have a couple lows because there's you know only one ball to go around in that Buffalo offense. And you know Gabriel Davis and Stephon Diggs are going to do their things. But a full-time role in Buffalo, man, is someone that you're not going to be afraid to throw into that flex when these bye weeks really start hurting the old lineup. Let's end things off with the tight end room. We talked about Hayden Hurst already. After him, Nate, you have Evan Ingram, Irv Smith, Taysom Hill, and Greg Dolchich as your recommended waiver wire additions. Is that the right order that you think people should be prioritizing for just overall rest of the season greatness? Oh, yeah. It depends how much risk you want to have involved with the tight ends that you're getting. That plays a huge factor since Someone like Evan Ingram, we know exactly who he is at this point. Um, he's been playing a ton of snaps, getting a decent amount of targets. He's not the most talented tight end, but definitely someone that you can consider 
on waiver wire weeks versus someone like Taysom Hill, who we saw score his four touchdowns. So he's probably like the biggest boomer bust player in fantasy football, where you could very well see him like see no targets and run the ball twice for zero yards and get nothing at tight end. Or you can see him score a couple of touchdowns, which is something that very few tight ends could reach that point at any game this season. Just wish this Jaguars offense looked a little more like the group we saw in, you know, weeks two and three instead of these mm-hmm. last two. I mean, on the season, man. Hey, you can hey you can look at Trevor Lawrence in those two weeks and you can see exactly why he was number one overall pick. And even last week, man, like there are times I was afraid to tweet this uh take, Nate, because it's gonna get me in a lot of trouble. But I'll, I'll speak it out loud here. And I mean it as a compliment but it's not going to be a compliment in terms of your high-end expectations for Lawrence. Watching Lawrence last week, I was getting vibes of like a slightly more mobile, more aggressive Jared Goff. Jared Goff had some really good, really good productive seasons. When you give Lawrence a clean pocket, when he's able to just throw, you know, one rocket into another in these tight windows. Okay, great. But man, things dissolve in a hurry when he's under pressure. And unfortunately, just haven't seen that consistent ability to move up and down the field just yet. Five games into his second season. We're already wiping off, you know, season one. I do wonder, though, man, as someone that, again, was lauded as this generation's Andrew Luck, we certainly haven't seen anything like that. This season, with the full five games considered, Trevor Lawrence is 28th among 35 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. He's 16th in QB rating, 25th in yards per attempt, 17th in adjusted completion rate. So by all you know, statistics you want to pull out, Trevor Lawrence this year has been mediocre to bad, can always get better. I hope he does. Right now, though, that's going to prohibit this offense from having, you know, guys like Evan Ingram, like Zay Jones, like Christian Kirk being overly efficient. So still only 23 years old. The Jaguars have dropped a league high 14 passes. Here's to hoping things get better for that entire offense. We all want good offenses in the NFL. Nate. I wish every single team has a franchise, amazing quarterback, and they're scoring 30 a game. It's more fun to watch. That's for sure. Again, just to recap, at tight end, Hayden Hurst, number one wave wire out of the week. And if you can't get him, Evan Ingram, Irv Smith, Taysom Hill, and Greg Dolchich. Quickly on Taysom Hill, you know, Dwayne and I talked about it a good amount on the uh, Sunday night review pod, but the guy's coming off a four touchdown game, so we can give him a little bit more shine. What, it, like, how are you kind of handling this, Nate? Because all the snaps, the routes, and all these, you know, usual qualifiers that we use for tight ends can kind of go out the window for a guy where his snaps are more like guaranteed touches. We're getting the goal line rush attempts. I mean, it's annoying for everyone else involved in this offense, except Taysom Hill. Uh, Yeah. Like I think you have to ignore all of the rules that you set for anything that you think of any other player, since he is a tight end, he lines up at tight end a decent amount. Um, He's running routes. He's not seeing basically any targets so far this season. So there's a chance that he could start doing better in terms of yards just because they could start throwing to him more than they have so far. But you know that he's been running the ball a couple times each game. They've lost two of their backup running backs these past two weeks to teams that have lost running backs to injuries. So teams have been just taking their running backs off the practice squad. So they really don't have that many other options at running back. So Hill is basically the third running back in this offense and could take over for Mark Ingram because Ingram hasn't been playing all that well, neither has Kamara for that matter. So Hill will continue to be running the ball. He can pass the ball sometimes. So I think if you don't have one of these top tight ends, I'm okay putting him in there since, yeah, he might score you zero points, but he's also going to have a higher ceiling than basically any other tight end that you're going to be able to pick up off the waiver wire at any point this season. 
I've been enjoying uh, Sean Payton's appearances on the Colin Coward uh, show throughout the season. And Payton uh, yesterday brought up that Taysom Hill, the first player since LaDainian Tomlinson to have 100-plus rushing yards, three touchdowns, and a passing touchdown in one game. It's incredible. And uh, Sean Payton brought up the point that he wishes uh, you know John Madden was still alive to kind of watch and appreciate and talk about Taysom Hill because of how much that you know John Madden just would have appreciated him doing it all. And, uh, man, like, again, Taysom Hill is on kickoff. He was returning punts in that game after Deion. Hardy got hurt so just the fact that literally I mean I don't know Nate if you put Taysom Hill at safety like I feel like he would probably figure it out and not be a complete liability so you know it's the one negative I can kind of find uh okay I think there's more negatives you know in fantasy football and you know impacting what we kind of think about real life players but it's Good, maybe that Taysom Hill can actually get this own role for himself and not just be someone who we tilt, you know, our faces off every time he gets on the field because we just can't expect him to be on the field enough to reasonably use him every week. So that's more, I think, been the fantasy community's issue with Taysom Hill because whenever he's out there with a full time role, even when he plays quarterback, like we're forced to start him, we know he's good at certain things, not so much throwing the football but literally everything else. And he's pretty damn good at throwing the football relative to most of the other people trying to do what he does, you know, on a play by play basis. So Taysom Hill, maybe just maybe emerging as an every week tight end two here down the stretch. You absolutely love to see it before we quickly recap things. I want to give a few shout outs to some of our lovely sponsors. First of all, Viore. I have been messing up that name and all my ad reads before. So apologies about that boys, but our newest sponsor, incredibly versatile and comfortable clothing. They have been kind enough to send me multiple clothing items already. I got this hoodie windbreaker thing that, you know, future Mrs. Tits, my lovely fiance seem to generally like, I mean, usually I'm wearing some dumbass like wrestling shirt or a football themed thing. And she was like, Oh, Viore. And she actually kind of got mad that I used the gift card on myself and not her. So I'll worry about that in the future, but I'm feeling confident guys. And I'm someone that doesn't really worry about uh, fashion that much. This is some Amazon shirt that cost me like five bucks. So not saying you need to spend a lot, but if you're going to, I do recommend Viore. Again, incredibly versatile, comfortable. I feel like I could work out in it. I can hang out in it. And even better, they have hats that fit my big ass head. So, you know, if you're someone like me out there and you just can't wear hats forward because God gave you a really weird shaped noggin, consider checking out Viore because, you know, they got the cool trucker hats that you can wear forward and backwards. Great day to be great with Viore. Also, got to give a lovely shout out to our friends over at No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. You can play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shout-out winning 250K plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks, better up to five-player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code FANTASYPFF at NoHouseAdvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. And, of course, our lovely sponsors over at DraftKings. The NFL action is in full swing over here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. And if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down stepped-up same-game parlays once per game. 
all season long. And by once per game, I meant once per game day, but regardless, all season long. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet in any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Note that minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply, and you can see the show notes for details. All right, everyone, quickly wrapping up everything we just talked about here. Big five waiver wire editions of week six. Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker. Use all the fab. Cardinals wide receiver Rondale Moore. Colts wide receiver Alec Pierce. Looking more like 15, 20% guys. Rondale, we are feeling confident that this slot role is fully his in Arizona. And he's healthy now. Two things that we thought were going to be the case in week one. But hey, we'll take him in week six. Better late than never. Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz is the top overall waiver wire edition of the week at quarterback. If you can't get him, Geno Smith, Jameis Winston, Kenny Pickett, Justin Fields going to be your next best bets. And Hayden Hurst is the tight end to go ahead and get behind him. Evan Ingram, Irv Smith, and Taysom Hill are your best bets. And final notes, don't sleep on Isaiah McKenzie. Bills wide receiver, if Romeo Dobbs and Jacoby Myers are available in your leagues, especially Myers and full PPR. Go get them and don't mess around with guys like Mike Boone, Tyler Algier, Isaiah Pacheco. Mess around with legit three down handcuffs with, wait for it, league winning upside like Rashad White, Alexander Madison, and Jalen Warren. Sound about right, Nate. Oh, yeah. I'll add that Damien Williams does have a chance to be that every down guy in Atlanta over all those young running backs. Epi is fully healthy, though. Keep an eye on that situation. As always, he is eligible to come off IR this week with that rib injury. And as Nate pointed out in week one, I tried to ignore it because it was, you know, against my guy. But Damian Williams was slightly working ahead of Cordero Patterson in those, you know, 10 or so snaps that he was able to play. Maybe just a 10 snap sample. Maybe a sign of things to come. Either way, he is free out there. So good notes there, Nate. Great stuff as always, my friend. Let the people know what you have at pff.com. If you can remember it, man, you guys should honestly see our Slack chat. Like Nate being the time saver and, you know, the smart guy he is. He set up a, uh, you know, recurring message to our consumer chat where, you know, we have to put in our articles every week. But my God, Nate, it's like 11 or 12 articles per week, man. Let people know what they are. Oh, uh, yeah. So we got the recap to all of Sunday's games that's going on during Sunday, the top 10 recap to Sunday going up on Monday. Uh, waiver wires that go up very early Monday morning. Uh, then Mondays, I write the five to add, five to cut, five to buy low, five to sell high. That went up today. Uh, rest of season rankings that went up today. And then the Monday night football recap, which went up last night. Um, we'll have uh, rankings for upcoming week that will go up tomorrow. Uh, start sit, which will go up the day after that, as well as the Thursday night recap. And then my favorite prop bets of the week going up Friday. Always a great day to be great. And truly, the stuff Nate does just after all these games are over with, we all love talking about usage notes and plenty of people like using PFF stuff and they, they cite PFF and that's fine. If you want the first person talking about it every single week and the guy that all of us fantasy experts need to go look at what they're saying first and foremost, it is Nate's weekly usage takeaways. So always great stuff there. With myself, again, Sheesh Report, quarterback uh, breakdown, running back, wide receiver looks, and I'll have my shadow matchups as well, mismatch manifesto and injury notes by the end of the week so we continue to you know keep on grinding over here with the pff fantasy crew hope you guys have had a first five weeks of the year you know we're pretty much a third of the way through this fantasy season let's win these buys get those championship bids and take home some trophies why the hell not so for nate i'm ian thanks as always for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody